Please be seated. A reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Hear God's word. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear God, I ask that you open our hearts today and allow us to share your word through each of our sermons. Please be with each and every one of us as we go about our weeks, as well as help us to turn our eyes to you today. In your son's name I pray, amen. Hi, my name is Ansley Henderson. I'm a senior in the Center for Education and Human Development at Glen Allen High School. And today we will all be preaching on a passage from chapter 3 of Philippians, in which Paul examines and explains what it is like to live out a strong faith and know God personally. I have the privilege of dissecting verse 12, and what I found quite compelling about not only this verse, but this entire passage, is the unique perspective Paul expresses. Paul starts off with a powerfully humble stance in which he ensures that he himself is not perfect in his relationship with Christ and still must continue to fulfill his own purpose. This coming from Paul, for one, is huge, as he is a very influential teacher throughout the New Testament, and for someone like him to admit he doesn't have it all together is very reassuring. What he is saying here is that in order to cultivate a personal and intimate relationship with Christ, it is important that we press on through trials and pay attention to God's ultimate and sovereign plan. In order to do this, though, we must patiently wait and overcome the battles that God places within our lives. I'm a firm believer that God will never bestow a hardship into our life that we cannot overcome with him at the front of our army, which is what has given me a keen sense of perseverance and hope. I've never been one to necessarily describe myself as patient, and I'm pretty sure not many others would describe me as such either. And when I was in preschool, I would scream, but mostly yell if my mom wasn't the first line, first one in the carpool line to pick me up from free school because I was worried she wasn't going to be there. And yes, she was normally third or fourth, but that wasn't first, so it wasn't good enough for me. I also had a hard time waiting in line, waiting for my food to come, waiting until the end of the moment of silence, which is still pretty difficult. And the worst of all, waiting for my birthday, because who doesn't love presents in a day all about them? I promise I have matured slightly since preschool, and I no longer scream until I get what I'm waiting for. However, I still struggle to wait in various aspects of my life, but specifically, I struggle to wait for God. I'm quick to give up on God and quick to change paths. I'm what you may call a social butterfly, so waiting for my turn to talk is hard, which makes listening even harder which is one reason waiting for God is so difficult, because I struggle to listen and struggle to anticipate. Taking time to pause or to just be are two things I almost never do. 
It's important as Christians to pause and be with God, which is why I push myself to take more time to myself and wrestle with God's word. Trust me, if you ask any extrovert, they would agree that alone time is hard. Psalm 27:14 is one verse I find particularly grounding as it reads, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The repetition of the word wait is a subtle reminder that God works in small and mysterious ways. I'm reminded to wait as good things don't come easily, and they also don't come to those who are impatient. My junior year of high school was the stereotypical hardest and worst year of high school for sure. Not only was school hard, but life was just as hard. I kept hitting wall after wall after wall and went through a season of extreme defeat and lost all hope in God's plan. I lived every day anticipating the next and began to give up. In April of that year, my grandma passed away very suddenly, which was probably the height of my defeat. I spent many nights crying out to God and trying to understand why he would rip my grandma from my family and me so suddenly and so tragically. My grandma always modeled a perseverant and developed faith that brought so much wisdom into my life. I knew that I had to press on because that's what she would have done. Senior year came very quickly and God began breaking down the walls that I felt were surrounding me. I had a great final field hockey season, I got into my dream college, I enjoyed my last high school football game, and now I'm here, standing amongst you all to share the truth that God's plan is worth the wait, no matter how impatient of a person you may be. Every moment in our lives that is full of darkness and shame is wiped clean because of the grace Christ extends upon each and every one of us. If you've come here today feeling tired of waiting or losing trust in God's plan, I want you to find hope in the words of Paul that we must press on because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus died on the cross so that we could live abundant and free, and he has taken hold of all our sins and mistakes. This verse from Philippians presents us with a choice of whether or not we will press on to experience a strong faith and an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity as Christians to breathe light and hope into a world that so desperately needs it. But in order to be the, the light, we must first take hold of the light Jesus is offering to us, and we must press on. Christ values each and every one of us, no matter where we are on our walk with him, which is why it is imperative that we sustain a strong faith. The gift of grace and the gift of hope is what makes being a Christian so promising and so, so sustaining, because even though we can't live trial-free, we can live free in the love of God. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Allison Potter and I'm a senior at Glen Allen High School. I'm so excited to be talking to you all about verses in thir verse 13 and 14 because they are probably my favorite verses ever. A lot of my time in high school has been spent on my school's cross country and track team. I remember thinking that these words were so reflective of, of a cross country race where no matter what has happened in the previous mile, you have to keep pushing and not let it affect the rest of the race. As I continued running, these verses would become even more applicable in a way that I surely wasn't expecting. The first part of verse 13 is an attitude that I think as Christians we should all have in order to draw people closer to God and to grow in our faith. As Ansley said, we need to be honest with ourselves and admit that we aren't perfect. Even Paul was humble enough to admit that he wasn't there yet two times in the span of two verses. So imagine how little we know. We like to act like we've got everything together, but that really couldn't be farther from the truth. 
We can't say that we have taken a hold of it yet, because we never really will. Even if you know all of the books of the Bible in order and, or can recount dozens of biblical stories, you haven't taken a hold of it yet, and you can't just stop where you are. This is definitely a relief for me because I'm the type of person that uses the table of contents for pretty much every book of the Bible unless it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But all this aside, convincing ourselves that we've got it all together will only lead to more distance from God. As a high schooler, it's easy for me to push God aside. I'll admit I'm not good at making him a priority. I focus on trying to get all my homework done or get a good night's sleep. And telling myself that my time at church on Sundays or while leading the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Club at my school is enough for me and my relationship with God, that doesn't benefit me at all. It's better to admit that we still have a ways to go instead of acting like we've already arrived where we need to be. But if we don't have it all, what do we have to keep doing? The word straining isn't exactly the word that I want to hear, especially when it's related to our relationship with God. Why does it have to be so hard and sometimes even painful to have all this faith in God? But as I mentioned, we don't have it all together and we never truly will. Keeping focus on God is going to be really difficult. There's no denying that. However, we strain towards things that we love or that are important to us. So shouldn't we be willing to strain towards God no matter the challenges that we experience? For example, my track team does an annual run from Glen Allen High School to Gelati Celesti on West Broad. I am a person who really loves ice cream, especially from Gelati, so I will do all that I can to get to the end of that run. This year, my perseverance led me to twisting both of my ankles in the span of three minutes and continuing to run towards Gelati. There were, nothing was going to stop me from getting to that ice cream. But what's this goal that we have to work so hard for? Haven't we already been saved and will go to heaven in the end? The goal isn't necessarily heaven. I take it to mean living as Jesus lived or showing other people God's love. I don't think forgetting what is behind means completely forgetting what we have done in the past. We have to learn from our mistakes to help us improve, but when we stay beating ourselves up about what's already been done, there's no way that we can progress closer to the goal. As I said earlier, we can't have, it, have attained it all already, so there is always room for growth for all of us. If we are aware of the improvements that we can make to help shape our future, we will not only be working towards a goal for ourselves in our relationship with God, but also towards a goal for the world. We can help make the world into what it was supposed to be. And once we accomplish this, we can all receive the prize of being with God in heaven. Because verses 12, 13, and 14 kind of blend together, I wanted to find a different verse to compare this to. Job 13, 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. The one that slays us is God. Sometimes he allows difficulties and struggles to come into our lives, which are really painful in the moment. But if we hope in him, we will strain towards him, no matter what, we, what challenges that we face in the process. Our hope will push us forward. Defending our ways is like continuing to chase after God, despite all the trials we've been presented that make it really difficult to keep our faith. If we focus our eyes on God, we can throw off all that has slain us in the past and push on to him. After my first season of cross country in the fall of my freshman year, running would prove to be a lot more difficult than it was just months ago. Straining would become my reality as each season I would get a new injury. 
I spent more than two years in and out of physical therapy trying to find a way to keep my body healthy for more than just a few weeks. Everything in the world seemed to go against me and was trying so hard to hold me back. It even seemed like God didn't want me to run because I couldn't understand why he would give me all this pain and why I would still continue to try to get better. Sometimes it got hard to keep a brave face because of all these setbacks that I couldn't even control. I often felt alone and jealous of all my teammates that were getting faster while I was always behind. Out of all my teammates, it always seemed to be me that got injured. People's go-to encouragement was, just keep going, push through it, because you always do. But I was tired of always having to be the one to do that. Even though it was painful and mentally exhausting, I kept pushing because I loved the sport so much and all of the friends that I had made because of it. This year has been my most successful year on the team, but I've still been confronted with injuries that really challenge my motivation. My entire indoor track season this winter has been spent recovering from a seemingly spontaneous small fracture in my foot. Yesterday was actually my first indoor track race of the season, which I really didn't think I would get to experience in the midst of all my pain a couple of months ago. These verses remind me that conquering an injury doesn't mean that I've cleared all the hurdles that I possibly can as a runner. There's going to be many more ahead, but in the long run, they will make me better. I haven't accomplished all my goals, but if I really want to achieve them, I will persevere through any injury to get closer to them. But God is greater than cross country or track. If I can push myself towards something that I love, like track, then I think all of us can learn to press on towards God, the greatest of all. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Maggie Cox, better known as Scott and Eli's daughter, and I am a senior at Goblin High School. Today, I'll be preaching on Philippians 3.15, which reads, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. I want to look at the three aspects of this verse. First, spiritual maturity. Second, the view Paul tells us to take. And third, how God will make things clear to us. So first, what is spiritual maturity and what does it look like? Spiritual maturity is growing in knowledge and relationship with Christ and living out this knowledge through service and obedience to Christ. This maturity manifests itself in Christians as the fruit of the Spirit. From Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. None of us have the fruit of the Spirit completely, but we should all be moving towards achieving it. And if you think you have all these qualities and you're ready to just tune the rest of this sermon out, just ask your spouse or your children, and I am sure that they would be glad to point out that you have severely mistaken. <laughs> Speaking as a teenager, we love to point out our parents' flaws. If you aren't sure what it, lo what it would look like to express or to not express the fruit, of this, the fruit of the Spirit, I'll give you a very personal example. So let me just paint this picture for you. I'm 15, I'm learning how to drive, with three very loud and, and opinionated backseat drivers. I'm driving, driving my family to church one morning. And of course, we're running late, so we're off to a good start. So there's a slow driver in front of us, and my dad tells me to merge, or to get in front of the slow driver before I have to merge. So 
At the same time, though, my mom is telling me to slow down because, you know, it's not going to be good if I speed up. There's all of us in the car together. You know, be careful. Um, so naturally, I speed up because that sounds more appealing. Um, and, <laughs> and as the wonderful Christian, I am sure that driver was, he speeds up and cuts me off before I can cut him off. So I have to slam on the brakes and merge behind him. So I get mad because someone cut me off. And then my dad gets mad because I listened to my mom. And then, and, and I, didn't, I didn't go quick enough. So, you know, and we're already late. So that's just an added bonus. And my mom gets mad because my dad told me to pass someone. And so that's just going to make me an aggressive driver, which you can see how those two correlate. Um, and so then my dad responds with the quite helpful remark of, well... Ladies, if you guys had been ready on time, we wouldn't have this problem. So, you know, always the favorite. Yeah, that's a, that's a common one at our house. Um, so then I get mad that my dad said that. My mom gets mad that my dad said that. And now my sister's mad too. So then comes the debate of whether my mom or my dad or my sister should be in the front seat with me. And, you know, then I get mad because none of them are helping me. They're all just arguing. So... It was a really good day for us all, to say the least. Um, we, we came to church really, really needing Jesus that day. Um, <laughs> so we were lacking the majority, if not all nine, qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and my family's probably really excited that I just exposed all of us in front of the entire congregation. Um, so I'm sure we'll have a little chat about that tonight. So, <laughs> um, so second... Paul writes, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. So as mature Christians, what view are we supposed to take? The view Paul is referencing here is from his, earlier dis- his discussion earlier in the chapter on, the- on his conversion and how he discovered that his impressive Jewish credentials were useless in the eyes of the Lord. We are to press on in our growth as followers of Jesus, not to earn our salvation, but because we are saved by grace. As some of you may have heard on my podcast that was released last week, although I grew up in a Christian home going to this very church, the idea of being saved by grace never really clicked with me. I always figured that in order to receive good, I had to do good. You know, if I, as a kid, if I ate my dinner, I could have dessert. It wasn't until I found the truth of the gospel through the love of my small group that I realized God loved me for who I am. I finally understood that it didn't matter if I had straight A's or straight teeth or straight hair— What mattered was that Jesus loves me, and because of him, I'm saved. Lastly, at the end of the verse, Paul writes, and if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. So when I first read that, I kind of read it as a threat, like, ooh, he'll make that clear to you. Watch out. Um, But the more I studied this passage, I realized that God isn't threatening me by saying I can't question, question anything, and he's not telling me I need to live like my childhood, seen and not heard, um, he's promising that, we will, that he will never leave us and that he will always guide us. He will make clear to you that your relationship with God can always prosper and as a mature person will be open to learning and do everything in the name of the Lord. He will make all of that clear to you through scripture and the advice of wise friends and family. Just as Ansley and Allison said earlier, we haven't attained a perfect relationship with God which is why we are called to be mature in growing our faith and realize that we are saved because of God's grace, not because of our own doing. 
And by being teachable, God will clear our blurred vision so that we can press on to win the prize of being one with God. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Rachel Potter, and I'm a senior at Glen Allen High School. And yes, Allison is my twin sister, but no, if we were a pair of boy twins, neither of us would have been named Harry Potter. <laughs> Paul concludes his message in verse 16, writing, only let us live up to what we've already attained. But what exactly is it that we've already attained? To find out, let's backtrack through chapter 3 of Philippians. In verse 8, Paul declares, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you happen to be in the high school Sunday school classroom over the past few months, or your devotional led you to the ever so uplifting book of Ecclesiastes, this might strike you as another way for an author of the Bible to say, everything is meaningless, a word that is used 20 times in Ecclesiastes. Paul says that knowing God is the greatest gift that one can have, that everything else on earth is garbage, which, by the way, is the polite translation of the word. So in the final verse of this passage, Paul once again reminds us of his point in verse 8, that everything around us, whether in our past or yet to come in our future, is meaningless, because we only have one thing to live up to, knowing Jesus Christ. Because of him and his death and resurrection, we have everything that we could ever hope for, the promise of an everlasting life. There's no standard to live up to, because God has already lived up to it for us. For me as a teenager, this is great news. Standards for comparison are all around me. And unfortunately, the GPA and number of Instagram followers we used to compare one another in high school turns into comparisons of annual income or types of cars in the driveway as adults. It's hard to ignore the idea that we have to be the best at something. And it's harder than I'd like to admit for me to throw my hands up and say, you know what, God, I don't need to care about anything else because I've got you. One place I can't seem to shake it is at track practice. As you'll come to find out, I am an avid runner and it has been a huge part of my life over my past four years in high school. Numbers don't lie in running. They're what reflects your fitness and exactly how hard you've worked to toe the line at every race. And while times give me something to work towards, they're the basis for comparison amongst my competitors. Cross-checking every runner's times can spiral into unhealthy self-loathing at the failure to measure up. I know that it can happen because it happened to me. A year ago, I fell into a period of deep anxiety where I dreaded lacing up my shoes to race. I didn't feel good enough to put myself out there and perform, which resulted in a string of bad times and an emotionally turbulent winter season. When I was younger, the faster girls on my team were running two-mile races faster than I ever thought possible. I was amazed, and I dreamed to be like them. The problem was that I could only run the same race 30 seconds slower than them. Now, to anyone else, those times are basically the same. You might be thinking, well, what's 30 seconds? To me, 30 seconds was the gateway to self-acceptance. Every time someone described me as fast, I'd think, if only you knew there were girls on this team that used to be running this race much faster than I just did. To be considered good, I thought that I needed to run a two-mile like the others, and I wouldn't give myself an honest shot until I had reached that point. So it's no surprise that every time I continued to fail at hitting this mark last year, I would despise myself and it didn't feel like a worthy competitor. 
But with verse 16 in mind, I realize that if it, it's as if God's telling me, it's okay, your time is fine as it is. You don't have to keep besting yourself to be loved by me. You've already qualified for the big race, the race towards eternal life with me, your God. There's no rank in heaven, so why do we feel the need to measure our closeness with God while on earth? Besides, we can't put our number on our relationship with him, and there's no ranking out there of best Christians in the world 2019. And don't worry, I googled it. <laughs> God wants us to know that we're on the right track, and we should be less anxious because of it. Thankfully, we don't need to worry about getting the first place prize because if we remember what Ansley discussed earlier, Jesus has already taken a hold of it for us. As I head off to college next year, I often worry about the hurdles I'll face that will threaten to push me into the wrong lane. Will I be able to find the right church to get involved in? Will I even have time for it? Will my cross-country coach allow me to go to church instead of practice? But as Allison mentioned when discussing verse 14, Paul writes, I press on towards the goal. He doesn't say anything about worrying about what lies ahead, and that's because he realizes that to be mature, he needs to press on towards the future with confidence in God, and we need to do the same. Paul has faith that Jesus is leading him where he needs to go and helping him make all the right moves in the races. This is remarkable if we remember that he was in prison while he wrote the book of Philippians. A man who had no way of knowing what his next day would look like thought of the future and was filled with joy because he knew that there was a path laid out for him, trailblazed by Jesus Christ. No matter, just as we must forget what happened in the past, we can't waste time worrying about the next hurdle. No matter how much we stumble, Jesus has already achieved the ultimate prize for us by dying for us. And if we truly believe this, then our lives should be filled with peace, hope, and joy to keep pressing on. Imagine what it would feel like to look towards the future with anticipation instead of anxiety, with peace instead of dread. That sounds like the goal I'd like to strive towards, and it's only through belonging to Jesus that that kind of life is possible. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that through Jesus you have already taken a hold of us, and because you have, we can press on towards maturity. Please help us to live this out every day and all of the time. In Jesus' name, amen.